This is a Western Union telegram dated August 10th, 1944 at 1.52 a.m. Sent to Robert A. Warren Sr., 60 Webster Road, Weston, Massachusetts. The Secretary of War desires me to express his deep regret that your son, 2nd Lieutenant Robert A. Warren Jr., has been reported missing in action since 25 July over Austria. If further details or other information are received, you will be promptly notified. The Adjunct General. Another Western Union on August 24th at 3.26 p.m. To Robert A. Warren Sr. of Mattapoisett, Mass., Report just received through the International Red Cross states that your son, 2nd Lieutenant Robert A. Warren Jr., is a prisoner of war of the German government. Letter of information to follow from Provost Marshal General. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to part seven of my grandfather's journey through World War II. In today's episode, we are going to look back at the communications between Bob, his family, and the War Department. I have in my possession all of the correspondence from the war, and it has taken some time to figure out who knew what and when. So we're going to go through it today, and hopefully I can paint an accurate picture of what people knew and when they knew. So just a brief recap Bob received orders for overseas duty on July 10th of 1944. He arrived in Italy on July 19th, flew his first mission on July 24th to provide air support for Yugoslavian rebels fighting the Germans. And the following day, on July 25th, he was shot down along with 11 other B-24s. He was captured by the Germans on the same day. On August 3rd, he was interrogated by the Germans and mails his first postcard home. On August 10th, Bob's parents are notified by Western Union that he is missing in action 16 days after he was shot down. On August 14th, his parents received another Western Union stating Bob was a POW. August 24th, Bob starts writing letters home from the POW camp to his parents. And on October 31st, 1944, Bob's dad receives the following letter from the headquarters of Army Service Forces. Dear Mr. Warren, the Provost Marshal General has directed me to inform you of the transfer of the above-named prisoner of war to the camp indicated. You may communicate with him by following instructions in the enclosed mailing circular. One parcel label with two tobacco labels will be forwarded to you every 60 days without application on your part. Labels for the current period will be forwarded under separate cover. Further information will be followed as soon as it is received. Sincerely yours, Howard F. Brees, Colonel, CMP, Assistant Director, Prisoner of War Division. So by the end of October, Bob's parents actually have a mailing address to Stalag Luft 1 in Germany to start sending Bob letters. As I was going through the postcards and the correspondence and trying to organize them by date and to try to wrap my head around the timeline of events, there are several postcards dated October 20th, 1944. And this is three months after getting shot down. And all of these three by five inch postcards are addressed to Bob's mother. As I was thumbing through them, some of them are typed and some of them are handwritten. And when I say handwritten, that means, you know, 1940s cursive handwriting correspondence. It takes me a while to try to decipher what they're saying. So I skipped those and I read the one that was typed. And they all read the same. Quote, last night there was a radio broadcast message about your son. And my initial thought was, oh, that's nice. They must have been friends of Bob 
and they're sending their support after hearing about his capture. As I read on, I noticed that all of the postcards contained some version of the same quote from Bob. Quote, Dear Mother, I hope you're not worried too much about the missing notice. I am feeling pretty well, but I was burned a little getting out of the ship. Most of us got out all right. Ask the Red Cross for information. Don't worry. I am well. Love to all. Bob. So all the postcards contained some version of that quote from Bob. So now I'm curious and confused as hell. So I started reading all of the postcards very carefully. The message they were referring to was from Radio Berlin. And one of the postcards from Mrs. C.P. Skilton in Carbondale, Pennsylvania, had the following written in the lower left corner of the back of the postcard. Member of Shortwave Amateur Monitors Club. Please do not send contributions. Okay, so when I read that, it was time to find out what the hell is the Shortwave Amateur Radio Club? What was that all about? And what I learned next brought tears to my eyes. Apparently during the war, while most Americans hovered near their radios in anticipation of news from Europe or the Pacific during World War II, and yes, radios, you have to remember the first television sets available for anyone were manufactured in 1934, and RCA didn't even begin manufacturing American TVs till 1939, and they cost around $445 at the time, and that was more than a year's salary for a person. So we need to just keep in mind that the overwhelming majority of people got their news, information, and entertainment from the radio. So while the American public listened to the radio, a few enterprising souls figured out a way to convert those same radio waves into messages of comfort for families who had sons overseas. Using a relatively new technology called shortwave radio, this was the proverbial audio-video club of their time, they were able to intercept Axis broadcasts from Berlin and Tokyo about American prisoners of war. Then they would mail letters to the POW's families, noting that their loved ones was captured and that they were okay. And sometimes the shortwave radio listeners were faster in getting word to the families than the actual war department. So just let that sink in for a minute. Shortwave radio enthusiasts would listen for information about prisoners of war they did not even know. Also, they had to write down as much as they could, as fast as they could, because you only get one chance when you're listening to a live radio broadcast. And if that's not amazing enough, these selfless citizens had to go to some directory of some sort or some resource to look up the soldiers I'm guessing by their serial numbers, to, to get the next of kin address. I haven't been able to piece how they actually did that. This must have involved a phone call or I'm guessing because there's, you know, there's no internet. There's no way to Google, hey, Robert Warren, serial number 0797695 was from where? So I thought that was pretty incredible. And then I was blown away to find out there was even one more layer of badassness to this. You see, after Pearl Harbor was attacked on December 7th, 1941, all of the shortwave radio people, or ham radios, another word for it, they're called hamming. All that shortwave radio hamming was banned for the duration after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. However, well-meaning Americans all over the country continued to monitor and listen to shortwave radio stations such as the BBC from London, Berlin Radio, and programs from other capital cities listening to reports of the war's progress from the comfort of their own home. 
So you start looking into this little known part of the war and you soon see many people having the exact same experience I had. The story always starts out the same way. This story started when I came across a curious set of letters in my grandfather's attic trunk. There were about 70 of them, written by complete strangers from all over the country, telling the family that their son was captured but safe in Germany. And those were all letters written by the men and women of the shortwave amateur monitoring club, written in their own way, in their own voice, just to share and hopefully bring comfort to a woman waiting to hear about their son. I felt so moved that they would just take their time to care about complete strangers. And it makes you realize that it's not just the war heroes that made this the greatest generation. It was all of them. The soldiers on the front lines, the women in the factories building the tanks and the airplanes, the civilians who made sacrifices and who donated everything they had to the war effort, and to those citizens with shortwave radios who, despite the government saying not to do something, risked their neck to still listen and to notify families. What did they risk, you may ask? Well, the practice of monitoring the POW broadcast sometimes provoked the U.S. government to react strongly against those individual listeners. There were a number of cases, among them John Fike of Omaha, Nebraska. Now, Fike sent a letter to Martha Sparr on May 9, 1943. Shortly after that, the FBI investigated Fike's shortwave radio listening and accused him of being a German spy. His name was eventually cleared up before his death in 1988, but listening to those enemy broadcasts was widely viewed with suspicion by the government. POW broadcasts were seen as merely bait in the Axis propaganda war intended to weaken the morale and the will to fight, and the American Red Cross reported that hundreds of families had received false casualty reports and that enemy news of prisoners should be ignored. So was that a legitimate concern? Were the, families of mission, were the families of missing soldiers given false hope from the enemy broadcast? I couldn't find out any validity of that, so it is unclear. What is clear is that there are hundreds of stories like this one where the information was accurate. Either way, it's another fascinating story to come out of this war. And in Bob's case, the information received from those monitoring the enemy radios was 100% accurate. If you want to learn more about that, check out the book, World War II Radio Heroes, Letters of Compassion by Lisa Sparr. I'll put a link in the description. So courtesy of the Shortwave Amateur Monitors Club that was organized by Ruby Yant of Lima, Ohio, here are the postcards received by Bob's mother dated between October 20th and October 21st of 1944. Dear Mrs. Warren, a message addressed to you was read this evening on a shortwave radio broadcast from Berlin. In effect, it stated, Dear Mother, I hope you haven't worried too much over the missing in action notice. I was burned a little, but getting along okay. I am well. Hope to hear from you soon. Please don't worry about me. Contact Red Cross for details about mail and packages. Love from Bob. From Lieutenant Robert Warning or Warren 0797695. I trust this information will be a help to you. Address given as Stalag Luft 1. Mrs. C.P. Skilton, 160 Salem Avenue, Carbondale, Pennsylvania. Another postcard. Dear Mrs. Warren, last night, shortwave radio Berlin broadcast a message to you about your son, Lieutenant Robert Warren, number 0797695, in Stalag Luft 1, Germany. All we heard was, quote, Dear Mother, 
I hope you are not worried too much about the missing notice. I am feeling pretty well, but I was burned a little getting out of the ship. Most of us got out all right. Ask the Red Cross for information. Don't worry. I am well. Love to all. Bob. We think he must be all right, or that message would have come from a hospital instead of the camp as many do. With our sincere hope that he will return to you safely and soon, Margaret and Frederick Cooper of 625 West 169th Street, New York City, New York. There are several more that say the exact same thing. One from Harold Simpson on 97 Blossom Street, Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Another one from Mrs. Newton White in Bloomberg, Pennsylvania. And then a final one from Mrs. John M. Noonan, Route 110 Oak Street, Portland, Maine. It's a handwritten letter. I can barely read it, but the final sentence is, My husband is a prisoner in Germany also, and he is being treated well. Sincerely yours. Mrs. John M. Noonan. Every time I read those letters and think about those people listening to the radio and writing down as fast as they could, as much as they could, and then taking their time out to find the people's parents and mail them what they have heard is truly unbelievable. How many letters did Mrs. Noonan write that day? How long were these radio broadcasts? How many parents of missing soldiers did she track down? It's simply unbelievable. In addition to the shortwave amateur monitoring club postcards, Bob was able to send mail home. In the following correspondence, there is the date it was written by Bob, and there is the date it was received by his mother. So yeah, not only did my family keep everything, they noted and dated everything. And Bob had been writing home since August of 1944, and he finally got his first letter back January 5th of 1945. And the same for Bob's parents. After that initial Western Union from the War Department in September, they wouldn't receive Bob's first postcard until January of 1945. So the mail back and forth was obviously very delayed and very slow, making this situation of not knowing anything even more unbearable. This is a postcard Bob wrote on August 24th, 1944, that wasn't received by his parents until January of 1945. Dear Mother and Dad, I hope that you have a long since received my first letter. Know that I am alive and kicking. I was burned a little bit getting out of the ship, but I am okay now. The hospital delay, however, caused me to lose track of the crew. The officers are all here, but in another compound, so I never see them. It is really a pretty nice place. We are living, word redacted, at present and doing our cooking. The Red Cross gives us a box a week, so we have cold meat, coffee, and smokes besides the jerry rations. I don't expect to hear from you or receive any packages. The next sentence was redacted. I have never dreamed of being a Kriegi, a POW, before I became one. So the whole thing is rather surprising. Give my best to the friends and a letter would be very welcomed. Love to the kids and maybe I'll be home for my birthday. I am okay and as happy as one can be expected. So don't worry. Love, Bobby. The next postcard Bob wrote was on September 3rd, 1944, and this was received on January 8th of 1945. Dear Mother, hope you are all well. I sure am. We are still in tents, but I expect to move before long into the barracks. It really is something to eat some of these meals we cook. I can even make toast now. Frank Upson of the Blyville team is here. Glad none of the others are or else I wouldn't have any time to sleep. About now, I expect you are getting ready to leave the beach. Hope Jack took good care of the boats. I want the Awani in next summer. 
Give my best to Coach and Miss Jackson. I haven't seen her brother. I hope Jack is playing football this year and Joan isn't studying all the time. Best to you and Dad. Love, Bobby. So Jack is his younger brother, and he also has two younger sisters, Joan and Jill. Next postcard Bob wrote was on September 7th, 1944, and this was also received by his parents in January of 1945. Dear Mother, well, everything is still going okay. We had a large outdoor church service the first Sunday in September, which was quite impressive. I tossed a football around yesterday, took me back to the games at home when I tossed it to Dick Malloy. Saw a rugby game too. Love to all, Bob. Another postcard from Bob was written on September 11th, 1944, received later in January of 1945. Dear Mother, I, still, I am still in good health and spirit. The days seem pretty long, but we have cooking, washing, and making things up to keep busy. After supper, there is usually a soccer or baseball game after which we retire. For an argument on anything, the loudest voice wins. There is quite a bit of poker with smokes as a medium of exchange. I am about even, but don't play very often. Still prefer bridge. But they play a stupid brand here. Too much talking to enjoy it. One of the boys made an egg beater last week. Darn clever if we had some eggs. I'll cook you a few meals someday and show you how to really prepare food. Looks different. Tastes the same. Quite a trick. Give my best to all. Love, Bob. Bob wrote again on October 30th, 1944, again received in January of 1945. Dear Mother, everything is still going as well as can be expected. I should hear from you about next month if my first letters get home. Hope Jack is enjoying the winter more than I am and is planning on having that cup won next summer. Love to all, Bob. So at this point, I think Bob's parents are pretty excited because they've received four postcards in one month in January of 1945, and Bob still hasn't gotten anything at this point. Bob would write again on November 9th of 1944, which his parents got in February. Dear Mother, I still have not received any letters or parcels from you, but I expect them soon. Fulton has had no word, but he's expecting he's a father by now. Everything here is going as well as can be expected, but I am not looking forward to a nice winter. Hope you're all well and not having too cold a winter. You might let me know how the football games came out or any other local dirt. Are the kids still in school? Jack must be wearing all my clothes. Or are they too small? Jill isn't married yet, I hope. There isn't much to write, but you know I never was much at that. I'm thinking of you always and wishing I was home. Take care of everything and maybe it won't seem too long. Love to the kids and to the grand folks. I'm still flying pretty high. Love, Bob. So Bob is referring to another guy in the camp that got his wife pregnant before he shipped out overseas and now he's expecting his first child while in a POW camp. So just chalk that up on the unimaginable things to have to deal with. Bob wrote again at the end of November on November 30th that his parents received in February of the next year as well. Dear Mother, sure will miss not being with you tomorrow for Thanksgiving. I'm sure I could eat at least two turkeys and a gallon of cider. I trust that the kids will eat my share. It has turned pretty cold, but like Mattapoisett, there isn't much snow. At least there isn't as of yet. I'm still in good health, but getting restless. I haven't got any mail or packages from you, but I know it isn't because you haven't sent any. Some of the boys shot down at the same time as we were have a few letters, so I am waiting with hope. I would like Charlie Taylor to know where I am, so if possible, try to drop him a line. Give my best to all the folks, and don't worry, I am okay. Love to all, Bob. After Christmas on December 28, 1944, Bob wrote the following. Dear Mother, 
Well, another Christmas has passed since I was last home to see the kids open their presents. The greatest enjoyment here was the company of such swell boys. Everyone is in the same boat, so we bear up pretty well. I have not gotten a letter as of yet, but I'm still hoping. However, as Fulton heard, he is a father of a baby boy. It is pretty cold, so the football games are a thing of the past. Walking and sleeping take up all my time, except KP day when I labor over a hot stove. What a cook. Give my best to all the kids, and if dad wants to buy a boat, get me one too. I should have quite a bit of money by now. Love to you as always, Bob. Bob wrote again on January 6th, and his parents received this letter the same time they got his December 28th letter. Dear Mother, I got your first postcard yesterday, and to say the least, I was overjoyed. The winter and the duration will not seem to drag quite as much now. I expect when the next mail comes in, I will have many more letters. Glad you and Dad are taking it so well. Lots of love, Bob. That would be the last postcard received by Bob's parents from the POW camp. And after listening to many stories from the men in Stalag left one, not all the correspondence was good news. I'm going to leave you with three notable excerpts from postcards received by POWs in Bob's camp. One prisoner received the following message from home. I've been reading an article on what POWs will be like on their return. I was frightened. You will apparently be like wild animals and we will have to humor you. You will also be very shy of the opposite sex. Another Ammon got this message. I've been living with a private since she became a POW. Please do not cut off my allowance, as he does not make as much as you. And finally, I don't know how to break the news, but I'm going to have a baby. Its father is a Canadian, and he says he's very sorry and is sending you some cigarettes. <laughs>